Hey everyone, it's Erin again with The Coloradoan. And a few months ago, for our May episode, I took on the disappearance of Christopher Vigil, a nine-year-old Laporte boy who vanished while hiking with his mom and his little brother on April 30th, 1978. What ensued that day was an extensive search of Grey Rock Trail off the Poudre River. And when they never found Chris or any sign of him, he became cemented into the community's consciousness. He became the little boy who went for a hike and never came home. I'm talking about this again because in my first episode on Chris, I spoke to a lot of people, including the man who led the search for him, his third grade teacher, and the father of a little boy who also went missing 20 years later up that same river canyon on a different trail. Two people I didn't talk to, though, were Eric and Marion Vigil, now Marion Adams. Eric is Chris's younger brother. He was four when they went on that hike that day, and Marion is their mom. I couldn't find contact information for Eric when I was putting that first episode together, and I ended up sending a letter to Marion, but it was the wrong address, so she never got it. So when the episode went live in May, Eric heard about it and reached out. He lives out of state now, but when he was home last, he gave me a call and the two of them graciously offered to meet me at my office to talk. In this episode, they clear up a couple things, bring up some concerns, and offer up something new. After almost 40 years, a reward for finding Chris's remains. This is The Way It Was, a podcast podcast. Episode 6, Missing Chris. get into it could I just have you say who you are yes. my name is Eric Vigil and you are Chris Vigil yes Chris okay. Vigil is my brother okay I'm Marion and I was Marion Vigil before now Marion Adams and I'm Chris's mom and Eric's mom <laughs> okay so yeah what do you tell and you me asked to, I guess there were three things that we saw useful in this second this conversation okay is one we could mention that Facebook page that's like missing Christopher Vigil. I mentioned this Facebook page in the podcast on Chris. It was the thing that drew me to the case in the first place. It's dedicated to Chris's disappearance and is run by a man who claims he was a childhood friend and neighbor of Chris. The Vigils dispute this though, saying things about it just don't add up. And that we find it very offensive, even sickening, because it's most of the story is made up. Example, a dumb example is he talks about Chris's favorite drink is Diet Coke. Uh, one, children don't drink Diet Coke. Two, people drink Tab then. They didn't, Diet Coke didn't exist. So I don't know how he's, he's gotten like two or three stories all mixed together and claiming to be his friend. Right, and I believe he said neighbor, but that doesn't ring a bell to no. either of you? Okay. The one accurate piece of information he had is he mentions a red double-deckered bus at the church, which really did exist. I just wanted to jump in with a quick point. I just received the incident report from Chris's disappearance from the Larimer County Sheriff's Office. In it, there are several mentions of Chris carrying a can of Diet Pepsi with him that day. But that's not proof that it was his favorite drink, and that information would be easily accessible by anyone. All they would have to do is request this report, just like I did. The Pepsi can comes up a few times. It's mentioned in a statement given by two young 20-something women from Windsor who were hiking Grey Rock that day and remember seeing Chris. They said he had the Diet Pepsi can in his hand when they first spotted him. The women were eventually taken back up Grey Rock to recreate what they heard and saw that day. 
One said that after initially seeing Chris, they found a Diet Pepsi can up the trail at some point and assumed it was the one he had been carrying. It's not clear if it was full or empty, but she picked it up, put it in her backpack, and threw it away after their hike. Something else Eric wanted to mention was another hiker on the trail that day. They wanted to say his name in this podcast, but I decided not to include it. This hiker, described as a blonde man with a camera in this incident report, is believed to be the last person to see and interact with Chris before he disappeared. Though his name was mentioned in a newspaper article back in 1978, I'm not going to say it here. You see, I've only ever heard of him spoken of as just another hiker on the trail, nothing more. And Marion said that he was checked out and cleared at the time, though she can't recall who exactly looked into him and what agency, if any, they were with. This is, a, this is something that I mentioned. We even had some detectives, um, you know, look at his background okay. and check on him out. And there are two people that just volunteered, and I don't remember their name or, the, you know, their business name. Mm-hmm. They said he came out okay, but he's always, they said to us, his last words were to me, um, a lion always shows his spots, but I never heard from these guys. Yeah. When we, were, we got out of the car, and I'm... I have mentioned it, and nobody, they, they overlooked it. I bent over to tie his shoes. He's only four. She's talking about Eric here. She was tying Eric's shoes when she looked up and saw this other hiker in the parking lot. She went on to say that she, Eric, and Chris headed up the trail, but she's never been able to remember this other hiker passing them. She remembers calling for Chris with Eric on her back and seeing this other hiker coming down the trail, but she can't remember him going up it. How did he get from the parking lot to there? I never understood that. How he got from the parking lot up and then back so quickly? Yeah, and, okay. and that I missed, I mean, if he went by me, I never saw him. Okay, so you didn't see him come Yeah, down the you would have seen him. That was just, and he did stay, he did say, I, you know, I saw your son. Uh, I don't know where and, he's at. And also what's really weird is when we were hiking, we were only like a third of the way up. And where he says to have seen him is almost the top. Seems very odd. The women I mentioned before, the 20-somethings from Windsor, did see this other hiker up the trail. In fact, they thought he and Chris were hiking together, though they were a bit staggered on the trail and not physically together when they all crossed paths. It's unclear in this report if the women were hiking ahead of Chris or if he was passing them, but they do remember hearing him yell while he was out of sight. They thought he was yelling for that other hiker. And he was, I think. In the article I mentioned, the one that mentions the other hiker's name, he does say that he and Chris were yelling back and forth at each other. It sounds like Chris may have lost the trail at some point and was trying to find his way back. So the women kept hiking and ended up having their lunch on a log in a clearing. It's unclear in this report, but I don't think they made it up to the top of Grey Rock. So when they did start heading back down the trail, the other hiker came upon them from behind. He seemed worried and asked them if they'd seen Chris. Then he tried to convince them to go back up the trail with him to look for him, but they were afraid of losing daylight. It was around five at the time, so they declined. The other hiker ended up continuing down the trail quickly, passing them. Now, to be fair, he might be the greatest guy ever. Maybe he'll cure cancer. Who knows? But, you know, at the same time, someone else knows something. And this is where my recorder inconveniently ran out of space. So, to summarize, Eric went on to say that he and his mom just want to share what they remember, what Marion remembers, especially about not recalling that other hiker passing them on the trail that day. 
Any memory shared publicly now could possibly spark something for someone or mean something to someone, you know? After sprinting up the stairs to my desk, emptying my recorder's SD card, and sprinting back down to Eric and Marion, I started recording our conversation again. Eric had moved on to another point, how after decades of no official news, someone from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children found Eric, took some DNA samples from him to put into their database, and they also produced an age-progressed photo of Chris, which is now on their website, missingkids.com. So you're talking about the so that's, database? Yeah. So anyway, so that's when his, that's when Chris gained an online presence, okay. starting then. The, the third thing I think that would be useful from this conversation is to re-mention there is still a reward if someone managed to find his body. And uh, 25000 Do you think that's good, that amount? Oh, I don't know. We want enough we money either. to be people to be dumb enough to go crawl into those little caves up there. How long has that been um, available since... Since the disappearance? No. Back then it was just $1,000. We had posters. Okay. And that's a long time ago. But Eric and I talked, let's just do like maybe 25. I don't know. Okay. But we want a body. Okay. Because. You know, not some vague rumor. Right. Not so I mean, information. back then there was only psychics that mm. called me. <laughs> there was a gentleman from, I think, Livermore, and he did the. Um, oh, the rod. The rod the, where they find water. I've never heard of Divining that. Divining rod. Yeah, the rod will will move yeah. in your hand on its own volition. You just hold like yeah, a, you a rod or just a special? Just Google a video on yeah. okay. divining that, rods. And they find see. water that way, supposedly. Yeah. So he used that to find Chris. And you were like, to, hey, anybody who wants to go up in that mountain, look, go ahead and for it. And of course, it. that didn't work. Um, but anyway, then there was a string with a crystal on it. Yeah. It's just swaying to where he's at and all kinds of... And did these people seek you out and... Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. With people hiking that trail often and the advent of drones, Eric and Marion both said by offering this new reward, they're hoping to kind of restir interest in the case. And I say restir because, like I said in the first podcast on Chris's disappearance, when he went missing back in 1978, it seemed like all of Northern Colorado came out to help look. You know, I thought of a fourth useful thing. What? We could still say thank you to all the people who looked. Again? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because you, you well, know, I don't live here, but I used to, you know, once in a while I'd meet somebody who say, oh, I knew this guy who helped look. Or what, were the, what was that search like, the initial search? It sounds like all of Laporte came out, even kids. Oh, no, it was people from everywhere. A lot of everywhere. Okay. Livermore, yeah. um, they, had a, they have a, a posse. And people on horseback, and the ranchers yeah. provided. People hay. donated hay. People donated use their horses. They paid for the yeah. helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, Didn't like a bus full of cadets from Lowry come or something like yeah, that? Yeah, the National Guard, the local National Guard, brought people. Chris also had a huge extended family, and everyone was out searching for him. Chris and Eric's dad, Marion's late husband, Leroy Vigil, was a truck driver. He was in Washington, I believe, the day Chris went missing. And when he got back home, he threw himself into the search. Leroy passed away 20 years ago. Here's Eric again. So you were four at the time. What do you remember? I remember 
I remember very little, but I remember going to the store to buy some snacks before we went. I remember when we stopped to eat. And I can remember my brother, you know, like the last time seeing him leave. This is obviously a highly, highly emotional topic. I was sitting there asking these nice people to relive the worst day of their lives. So Eric had to take a second, and then we picked the recording back up a minute or so later. How worried my mother was. And uh, for some reason, right away, I can remember how much fear you had for some reason. You know, it, it seemed like we didn't spend much time in the mountain looking for him. It's like right away you decided to get help. Mm-hmm. And we hiked down, and we went to that little red house. Well, it was like 4.30, and I knew that it was... Even though the time had changed because it was April 30th, I was scared that it was going to get dark soon. That was yeah. my first. And you cut. So, you know, and then I don't remember anything else after that. I remember a few things like, we're, you know, because I think a lot of people at church took care of me during that time because you were busy searching. Like, I can remember waking up at Dean Burgess's house with weird green pajamas on and wondering, how did I get here? And I can remember being in the we were in the Livermore Community Center in sleeping bags. Mm-hmm. And I can remember jumping over people's sleeping bags. I don't know if they were in the sleeping bag or not, but it was just something. You know, it's like I totally understood what was happening, but, you know, you still, like, well, your grandma to took you off. home, too. Yeah, I spent a lot of time with my You didn't spend that night at, at, the, at the parking lot. I stayed in the car by myself. Yeah. And we, uh, and I can remember, I can remember Dad not being home. Because I think you said he searched for a year, almost a year. Mm-hmm. And I remember missing him. And I remember going to visit him. And my uncle uh, Leonard was up there. He was like one of the last few people to keep looking. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember being four and purposely locking the car, the keys in the car so I could get to see my dad more and then getting in trouble for that. And I didn't have the ability to t- articulate to him that I missed him. We lived, because um, I, I was working for Head Start, and uh, I didn't go back. A um, friend of ours from church had those jars. Now we, go, we do GoFundMe. Then you have jars with a picture or something. And people were just filling those jars with money, and we were able to live off of that. Wow. That's because neither of us were working. Because when I could, I go, and you, you, we did have a lot of people who could take care of you. Yeah, I remember I was in great shape. I used to climb that up a lot, yeah, way to the top, even. When was the plaque installed? Ninety-one. Yeah, I had just come back from Alaska. By the way, I mentioned the plaque in the first episode on Chris. It sits just off the beginning of the trail, says Chris's name, his parents' names, and has a short Bible verse. And there's a misspelling on it. Her name is spelled. Her first name is spelled wrong. It's supposed yeah. to be the O. I remember you were mad at yeah. Dad that he didn't catch that. <laughs> oh, Not a lot mad for days, but you were no. kind of annoyed. <laughs> you don't have to spell my name. Yeah, that was funny. Um, do you go to the plaque ever, or go to the trail ever? I do by myself. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want. I, I guess because it's hard. I don't want anybody to be with me. Yeah, I've hiked up there a couple times for for fun. You go I mean, to the top. Is, yeah, it is a very nice hike, and 
the American Legion, um, they, they're the ones who paid for the plaque and did that. Yeah. Rest. That was nice. I think that's when my dad finally, you know, didn't forget about it, but kind of let go of it. You know, it wasn't an obsession. It was a family obsession for years and yeah. years. And people would say, like when I was four years old, I remember, even at just four years old, I would know, like, this wasn't logical. Like somebody would say, oh, if we look here, we'll find him. You know, and you wouldn't find him. When you look here, you'll find him. You know, and it just never happened. Mm -hmm. And I remember, uh, I don't know how much time had gone by, but I remember asking you if Crystal will ever come home, and, and uh, you said no. He's uh, died and gone to heaven with God. And I remember just accepting that. You know, like my mother knows everything. It was that simple. That's, you have to put closure of some sort, or you just, you can't function. But sometimes people would say crazy stuff. Like I remember mm -hmm. my Uncle Chubby when he was, it was 1996, and I spent a summer in Mexico as an engineering internship. And he says to me, keep an eye out for Chris. And I just thought, that's crazy. You know, and I didn't say anything. And he's like, Jeremy. And I'm like, yeah, I heard you. Mm -hmm. Some people, some family members would still get mad if you said he was dead. For, For some years, reason. that he had cold, he was living in a cold. Yeah. Some people thought that somebody took him. Eric and Marion both say they don't subscribe to the theories. For Marion, she said it's easier to believe that although he passed away, it was that day, that night, and it happened quickly. Maybe a mountain lion grabbed him, and that's better than the alternate theories that have popped up that Chris somehow made it to the road, got picked up, and was taken. You know, years ago, I, I um, do you know how long ago it was? What? When I told you about the, the police from Commerce City came to see me at work. I think I was in college, wasn't I? So maybe 20 years. Oh, no. Oh, really? Oh, no. Oh, I Couldn't be that long ago. Anyway, he said that there were they incarcerated a man, a male that was had something to do with the Boy Scouts, and he had um, even murdered some young males in in his apartment. They found a lot of photos of different young males, and underneath the sink there was a a black um, metal box, and when they opened it, it had all these all these articles about Chris in the box. So the police in Karma City. Okay. So they came to talk to me about it. But I mean, no it didn't go. It, there, right? it didn't. Yeah, they, I never heard from them again. Um, they just came to tell me he was incarcerated, and that was sort of the end of it. They did have a, a those Velcro wallets that we used. They, they used back then in the seventies, mm -hmm. and I said Chris had one, but I don't know if that was his or not. I mean, I couldn't like swear to it. And that was it. It was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Do you, I mean, do you still have his things and all? You're still in the same house, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You have a few things. Yes, but the, like, I don't. <laughs> I remember he he made his own little battering. I don't know if that is, but it's like Batman has this little boomerang shaped like a bat, and you put a string on it, and you okay. throw it, and okay. 
Well, he made himself one, and it caught around the electrical wire. And it stayed there for 30 years. And about 10 years ago, I remember it fell off. The string finally rotted. Well, it could be 30 and 10 and be 40. Yeah. Anyway, I have and, it. Yeah. Yeah. I know you have that. No, I have a box with some okay. things of his. But I didn't make a shrine. No. And I know you had that. people do that. I no book. You had an album where you kept, like, the newspaper articles. I have that. And letters from people. Yeah, we have that. But it's funny, I remember as a kid, though, I remember when he was alive and in our house. Mm-hmm. We, we got along great. And uh, he was five years old, and I really looked up to him. And he was very kind to me. And uh, you had our names painted on the wall. Mm-hmm. And I remember the I can remember the day when you painted over his name. <laughs> I think this is good because uh, I haven't seen your craft for even a long time. Marion went on to tell me that she didn't listen to the podcast on Chris, which I totally understand. She says it sounds silly, but there's this fear you have when you're grieving that you'll start crying and you just won't be able to stop. Marion and Eric went on to talk a little bit more about theories they'd heard and just questions they had. One of Eric and Chris's uncles was an old school outdoorsman, a logger, and he always wondered why there were no birds. If there were remains, birds would have been found circling them. And the search effort seemed so extensive that almost no stone was left unturned. National Guardsmen were even spray-painting marks on rocks to show they'd searched those areas. The caves, Eric said, weren't that big, just kind of big enough for someone to barely crawl into. And those are the questions that still linger. Some things you just will never know this side of heaven. Are you still holding out hope that something will be found one day to bring some closure? Closure, I know that's not a good word. Um, there's some hope, but I've, I've given that hope to God. I don't think we expect it. We hope, we don't expect. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, it's worth a try. You know? Thank you to all of you who listened to this special bonus episode of The Way It Was. And thanks especially to Eric and Marion, who are willing to relive that awful day and open up about their hope with this new $25,000 reward to someday find Chris. For a bit more information on Chris's disappearance, including photos of him and the search, feel free to visit coloradoin.com. I'm Erin Udell, and this was The Way It Was, a podcast.